Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to see you guys today. And I heard some cheers for Wisconsin. Yeah? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I won't get in the middle of all that. But uh, so if you hear a little bit different accent than a typical Wisconsin accent, it's because I grew up in Arkansas. Anybody from Arkansas? Wow. You had rednecks, huh? See, that's proof that there's rednecks north of the Mason Dixon right there. There you go. Amen. But uh, so if you've seen the movie True Grit, where the railroad ends, that's my hometown right there, Oklahoma, Arkansas border. And uh, but about 18 years ago, my wife and I um, left Oklahoma uh, to uh, come and basically kind of plant a church there in the Milwaukee suburbs. And God's blessed that and done that. And so I still I sound a lot less twang now than I did then. But it's still quite, kind of there. And I can do the, the upper Midwestern accent. I won't do it for you today. But uh, anyhow, it's good, 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 great to be here. Hey, I want to say a big thank you. And I think we should always honor those people that, that lead and serve among us. But would you give it up for your president, Scott Hagan? <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to, to be a part of this. And today, uh, traveling with me is Ryan Coggins. Ryan is a graduate of of North Central alum, 06. Stand up, Ryan. Stand up, Ryan, so everybody can see you. He's a Minnesota Vikings fan, so y'all pray for him. Amen. And uh, Ryan and I have worked together for about 12 years at Life Church, and Ryan basically runs everything and does everything, and he just kind of tells me what I can do. And so I, in essence, work for Ryan. And so... Uh, but it's good, good, good to have him here. Good to be here. Uh, my family, I've been married about 25 years. There's going to be a picture on the screen of my family. So this is my wife, Tammy. And then my two daughters. So to her left is Ava. She's 18. She's going to run some man or some company or both one day. And then, amen, ladies. And, uh, and then my oldest, Anna. And then the guy on the end, I'm not quite sure about him yet. So he's the newest addition to the family. And uh, they've been married about a year and a half. And so anyhow, uh, so there's... Yeah, pray for him. There's some days I may kill him. Amen. So just joking, just giving you a hard time. But uh, thanks. So I want to take a couple minutes. If you have your Bibles and turn with me to Judges chapter three. And I just want to take a few minutes and 25 years in away from my undergrad in college. And I know that some of you are studying for vocational ministry. Some of you are studying for marketplace ministry. Uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, when we're Christ followers, there's that priesthood of all believers that we've all been called to go into all the world, whether you go into and go into every man's world. I completely believe that. And uh, so regardless where you are, or what's going on, as I, as I get an invitation every time to speak to uh, students that are at this place in your life, it's different than talking to graduate students or doctoral students. Uh, or in a lectureship, it's really, I agree with what President Hagan said, just it's that you're in this incredible, pivotal point in your life, that God will speak probably more to you in these years of your life than just about any other time. It's not that he won't speak in other times, but as you get older, the way that begins to reveal itself and process itself becomes different. And, but at this time, there is such a hunger, there's such a desire, there's such a want for the things of God and for God in your life. And you're trying to discern so many huge decisions in your life. Uh, who you're going to marry or where you're going to work or what you're going to do. Or are you called to do this? Are you called to do that? Do you take this opportunity or that opportunity? So I just want to give you one principle over the last 25 years of 
full-time ministry and, and working in, in, in the field that God called me to, to the local church, um, that has worked for me. And I think works in any situation. When God asks you to do something and you feel like you're lost like a ball in high weeds, man, like you are completely in over your head and, and, and you have no business being where you are, uh, he's asking you to do something that's beyond your ability, beyond your pay grade, beyond your education, beyond your, your bandwidth. Um, this is where I think, this is what I've gone to. And, and again, I want to mention someone in Scripture today that he's only mentioned twice. I love obscure people in Scripture. I mean, I get the whole Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I get all of that. But I identify, identify more with kind of the, the no names, kind of the, the, the obscure people. And so today, Judges chapter 3, we find this guy named Shamgar. He's only mentioned twice in Scripture. Um, the book of Judges, chronologically, it's after Moses has led the children of Israel out of bondage. Joshua has led them to the promised land. They've gone from being a slave people to a nomadic people. Now they're an agricultural people. They have settled in the land. Uh, the, the, the tribes of Israel now are occupying the land and the territory. This is before Samuel will anoint Saul king uh, of Israel and David king of Israel. This is, this is that period called the judges. And there are 13 judges or 13 leaders that are used during this period. And Shamgar is one of those. He is the third of the 13 judges or leaders that God uses and that that he uses during this period of time. Judges chapter 3 verse 31, it says this, and after Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he too saved Israel. So verse 30, the preceding verse, tells us that Israel had unprecedented peace with the Moabites during this time. lasted for about 80 years. But if you read the Old Testament at all, you know that, man, Israel had a lot of enemies, right? I mean, there was the, there was the Moabites, there were the, the Pezzarites, the Pezzasites, the Termites, the, all the ites, amen, the Philistines, everything, right? Amen. And so uh, they had these, but the big enemy at this particular point in time w- was the Philistines. Now, again, life in Israel was very agricultural. So just think of it more like rural Minnesota or rural Wisconsin. Um, it's, they're, they're a very peaceful people. They're not a, a warring nation. They, they don't have a, a king as such at this point in time. They're, they're, they're not conquering any more cities at this point in time. They're just, it's a very peaceful, tranquil time in Israel. And, um, and so basically the, the, the men are getting in their F-150s and they're driving to the farm fields and they're checking things out and they're, they're going to the co-op and having, having coffee and lunch with, with the other farmers. And I mean, this is just very peaceful and, and you know, their, their kids are in school and everything's just happening and going along. But in the middle of this, the Philistines began to come in and every time it was harvest time, they were raiding the crops. They, were, they would descend upon, they would begin to raid and plunder and just leave Israel in this complete decimation. And this was happening over and over. Matter of fact, if you look at Judges chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8, it describes the, what it was like in Israel during these times. It says, In the days of Shamgar, that's the only second time his name is mentioned, son of Anath, the roads were abandoned. The travelers took to winding paths. Verse 7 says that village life in Israel ceased. Everybody was home, locked down. And verse 8 continues, Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So again, this is not... They're not a warring nation. They don't have any armory. They don't have, a, they, they don't have any kind of a national guard. They, they don't have anything. And in the middle of this, if you go back to verse 31 that we first read, one day Shamgar took all he could take 
And he pulled out an ox goad and slew, decimated, destroyed. The best action movie I think you can ever watch, 600 Philistines. Now, I have a theology on this. And, and again, you may disagree with me, and that's completely fine. But, but, but I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be like this heavenly IMAX, right? Anybody? No, but you don't, you don't watch movies? Amen. Okay. So, and, 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 and I think the butter popcorn is going to have no calories. Amen. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And the Cokes are going to be, I mean, it's going to be real Coke, but no calories. And so anyhow, all of this in scripture, I think we're going to, the Bible says we're going to know and see and understand. I think we're going to see it. This is one of the movies I want to watch because I think this is better. I, I was, I'm a kid of the 80s, so I was raised with action movies and all of that. And so, uh, and, um, but the reality is, is that I think this is one of those that like, how does he do this? He's a farmer. There's not a sword. There's not a spear. He's not a warrior. He's not been trained. They're a very, they're a very quiet, tranquil, kind of a passive people at this point in time. Yet, the Philistines come in and he takes an ox goat and he destroys, he takes out 600 Philistines, 600 warriors with an ox goat. So what's an ox goat? Well, an ox goat basically is just a farm tool. It, it, being from Arkansas, I would call it a stick. Uh, it, it's a long wooden rod, about five to ten feet in height, about two inches in diameter. With one, point, one end, there was a sharp point, almost like a pencil. The other end was a broad chisel-like blade. It was used to knock the, the, the roots and the clay off the plow as they would go behind the oxen and also to prod the oxen along. It was just a stick with a point and a chisel. That, that was it. He picks up this ox goad, this stick, and he completely destroys 600 Philistines. This, this farmer's tool became a lethal weapon in, in the hands of this courageous man of conviction, this, this leader, Shamgar. He defended his family, his country, man, his property against the invading murderers with this farm tool, with this farm implement. So what's the big deal about Shamgar? So glad you asked that question. Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. Real simple. What he could with what he had with where he was. Let's look at this just for a second. What, 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 what he could. He, he, he was defending against 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Again, I don't care if he took them off one at a time or he it was full like, I mean, he pulled a full can out and just went Jackie Chan on somebody. It doesn't matter, right? You know what I'm talking about? No, no, you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. I'm, all right. Uh, it elevates him to the status of champion. Like, I want to see this when I get to heaven. It, it doesn't matter how he did it. He, he did what he could do. And can I help you understand something? It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you're going in life. God only expects you to do what you can do. He doesn't expect you to do what the president can do or what I can do or some person sent to your left can do or the person sent to your right can do, the person that sets the bell curve in the class can do. He just only expects you to do what you can do. He's given you what you need. He expects you to do what you can do. But how many times do we fail to do what we can do because we think it really doesn't matter? It really won't make a contribution. We, we mistakenly conclude that it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. When the truth of the matter is, it's never about the amount. It's never about the capacity. It's never about the octane. It's about are you willing to do what you can do? That's it. That's it. Where you are today, some of you are facing some really tough struggles and there are things that are going on inside of you and, and, and you don't feel like you measure up. But can I just help you understand what can you do? Just do what you can do. Maybe today what you do is just get through the day. Maybe what you do right now is you, you just you, you go through the open door that God's given you. you. You just lean into that. That's all Shamgar did. He did what he can do. And that's all God expects. 
Shamgar did what he could do with what he had. With what he had. Think about that. God's given you everything that you need to succeed. He really has. I mean, don't, don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. It's what I call the case of the if I hads. Right? Well, if I had a million dollars, I would. No, you wouldn't, you big fat liar. You wouldn't give it away. I mean, I mean, it's just true. I mean, well, if, if I had more, more of this, or if I was connected to so-and-so, or, or if I had this, or if I had that, we, 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 what happens is when we deal with the what-ifs in life, we lose out on the what-is. When we deal with the what-ifs in life, when we live in the land of what-if, we, we miss out on what-is. And so all I have is what's in my hand. All Shamgar had was an ox goat. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a spear. He didn't have a militia or a military, but he didn't need one because with God's hand on his life, all he needed was what he had in his hand. And here's the deal. We don't need all the things that we think that we need to succeed. So why are we waiting for ideal circumstances? Ooh, my God, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Why, why do we wait for, well, when this comes through, when that comes through, when they ask me, no, 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 no. At some point in time, it's just like, what can you do now? What can you do right where you are? I'll never forget when I was in, in, in Bible college and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I felt like I was in this bubble and I needed to get out. And so I, I, I basically just said, you know, what can I do? I, I, I can't go around the world right now. I, I can't leave and go, go, go into full-time ministry right now. What can I do? So I found that there was a local bus stop where there were homeless that were hanging out. So I, what I had was I had enough money to go to the grocery store and get, make sandwiches. So I got the stuff, made the sandwiches, and I would go and wouldn't take anybody with me and simply just pass out sandwiches to the homeless. That's what I could do. And what it did for me was it kind of released me from that, that spiritual bubble. It kind of released me from from, from, from all of that, and it helped me just go, this is what I can do. And, and again, that's all God's asking. What is he asking of you to do? What's he asking of you to do now? Don't wait for God to send you something that you already have the answer. I had someone in my office this past week and said, man, I need two more people in, my, in, in our department. If I do this, I said, okay, let's just say I've got the money for you right now to hire those people. Do you know who they are? No. Do you have a job description? No. Do you know exactly what they do? No. Then you're not ready for it. Many times in life, we don't use what we have. And we want God to keep doing more and more and more and more. God just expects you to do what you can with what you have. Don't look at what you don't have. What do you have with where he was? Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. Where was Shamgar? What was the starting point for him? Man, he was living in a day and a time when his life and his property and the lives and the property of his family, his countrymen, were at the mercy of the Philistines. These thugs, these thieves. Shamgar didn't wait until he had an army of thousands to lead the battle. He, 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 he didn't wait for things to get better. I don't believe we have to wait for this to happen and wait for this to happen. And well, when God shows up, when God reveals everything to me, I wish God would text me and tell me what to do. I can't tell you how many times I stand on the platform and I'm preaching. I say, we're going to do this and this. And then I get off the platform and I'm like, oh, man, I hope God's in that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm about 80 percent sure, but there's about 20 percent of me. This may not work. You know, like the famous last words of any redneck. Hey, watch this. Right. You know, it's just like. But at some point, man, I'm going to do something. Right. I'm going to go somewhere. I mean, if you, really, if you want to get into the theology of this, look at the Pauline theology of his missiology. 
Paul was like, we're going to go here. We're going to change the world. And there was a shipwreck. Well, we're not going there anymore. We're going to go over here. And well, then that didn't work. Well, we're going to go over here. He's going somewhere, right? It's going to be a great ride. But, but he didn't allow the circumstances and the things around him to preclude him. He didn't allow where he was to keep him. He allowed it to be that God knew right where he was, what he was doing, what he had. And he allowed God to work his purpose out. You're here today. You're in this moment today. You're in this university today. Why are you here? Why does God, well, I don't like this professor. I don't like this RA or I don't like this RDA or I don't know that I agree with this or I don't agree with that. Well, first of all, nobody really asked you, all right? But, 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 but the second thing though is even if we did, why, why is it that you just kind of just shrink? Maybe the reason why God has you it's because he's stretching you and he's growing you and he's doing something in you. Maybe it's because he's going to put you in a place that you're going to be exposed to something that will change your life and you don't even yet know it. Maybe it will be one of those people that 20 or 30 years down the road, I'm telling you, this happens that you think back to, oh, Dr. So-and-so or oh, so-and-so or brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And it takes you back because of God using where you are to accomplish his will. If you go back to the end, verse 31 of Judges 3, there's a little statement, a little declarative statement, just four words. It says, and he too saved Israel. He too saved Israel. Now, he's only mentioned twice in Scripture. But if you really get down to it, here's how this works. When we all stand before God one day, and the, and the truest of award ceremonies are given out, the only one that counts where we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And God, throughout his amazing expanse, begins to tell the story of how he spoke to Abraham. And according to the book of Hebrews, Abraham was on a journey looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And there was Isaac and there was Jacob. And they talk about Noah trusting God and preserving mankind once again through the flood. And he talks about these are all saviors, right, of, of, of men like Moses who went back to Egypt even when he had failed miserably the first time. And God's a God of redemption and brings him back yet again to be what he called him to be. All the way to Joshua and Caleb who believed they could hit the promised land right from the very beginning but would have to wait 40 years to see their dream become a reality. To men like David all the way to the greats of the New Testament. All of these people, part of the narrative. When all those great names are mentioned, according to Scripture, there'll be a name that you'll hear. Shamgar. Because although he didn't, he didn't do something as fantastic as Daniel in the lion's den or Noah in the ark or, or Jonah in the well, but because he did what he could with where he was, with what he had, he too saved Israel. Sometimes we look, well, I can't be Abraham. I can't be Isaac. I can't be Jacob. I can't be Moses. I can't be Jonah. I can't be Daniel. I can't be. Nobody asked you to be. But when you do what you can with what you have and where you are, you too will bring life change and salvation to the world in which you live in. You too are a part of that narrative and you have no idea how God wants to use you. That's how he accomplishes his purpose. If you will do what you can with what you have with where you are. Real simple. So let me close today with this story. 
North Platte, Nebraska. Anybody from Nebraska? Yeah. All right, some corn huskers. Anybody from North Platte? North Platte, Nebraska. Population 12,000. Year was 1941. Biggest thing happened in North Platte was the Union Pacific Railroad had a stop there. December 7, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Ten days later, there's a train with Nebraska National Guards that are going to stop in North Platte on their way west to the war. So a group of local ladies hear about this, get together, and decide that what they're going to do is they're going to make cakes and sandwiches and cookies and pies and tea and coffee, and they're going to greet these Nebraska National Guardsmen, and, and they're going to wish them well and pray for them and just kind of send them on their way as they stop in North Platte. The train pulls up, and they realize it wasn't Nebraska National Guardsmen. It was National Guardsmen from Kansas. There was a pause, and this is how the story is read. Miss Ray Wilson, who was a drugstore clerk there in North Platte, looked at the other ladies and said, look, I didn't make these cookies and these cakes and these pies and these coffee and, these, and, and, and tea to take home. These are servicemen. We're going, to, we're, we're, we're going to do them and treat them just as they're our own. And so they began to do that. In, 19, in December 17th, 1941, that, that day, Ray Wilson saw a need and an opportunity. Because what would begin to happen is, because the Pacific Railroad had a stop there, servicemen going to war during World War II were going to stop there. So she began to say, why don't we meet every train that we possibly can? And let's, let's have cookies and cakes and coffee and sandwiches. And let's just show love and support for the men that are, that are going to the front lines to give their lives and to serve our country and, to, and, and do this. And, and, and this was all volunteer labor. This was during war rationings and where things were tight and, and money was not plentiful. Franklin uh, uh, D. Roosevelt, the president at that time, heard about what they were doing in North Platte and was so impressed that he gave $5. That's a lot of money, I guess. Bob Green, a Chicago Tribune writer, wrote a book called Once Upon a Town. He wrote about this. Green recounts the World War II vet stories, and they all had this same rhythm to it. It'd go like this. I graduated high school in Brooklyn, New York on Friday. Monday morning, I enlisted for the service. Next thing I knew, I was on a train for three days and nights. Never had left New York City in my life. In the middle of the night, nowhere I'd ever been, somebody yells out, North Platte, Nebraska. We have a 10-minute stop. We get off the train. In the middle of the night, I see a room full of cakes and, and pies and sandwiches and tea and coffee. And there were women who looked like my mother and my aunt and, and girls who looked like my sister and my cousin. And they just hugged me and said they were praying for me. And then we were rushed right back onto the train. I was scared out of my, my mind, not knowing where I was going, not knowing if I'd ever return. And in the middle of the war, somewhere in France, in the middle of the night, somebody would yell out, wouldn't it be great to be in North Platte right now? To which I would say, yes. Yes, it would be great. Because in the middle of the night, in a place that I'd never been, with people I'd never met, going to a place I had never gone, somebody loved me. Miss Ray Wilson, the drugstore clerk in North Platte, Nebraska, population 12,000, met every train for the next four and a half years. She organized 55,000 women meeting up to 32 trains a day, and at the end of the war had served 6 million servicemen. Why? Because she did what she could 
with what she had, with where she was. That's all God cares and asks of you and I. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for these incredible students. I thank you for the, for the, the spirit of the Holy Spirit that's in this room, that the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit that we sensed as soon as we watched, walked in. For the heart of the students that are here, serving and, and, and giving of themselves. And God, I just pray, you know where the men and women of this room are going to go. You know where 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 30 years from now, you know where they're going to be. You know what their lives are going to look like. You, you know what your hand is upon them, what you've called them to do. You know where they're going to go. And God, you have a plan for each and every one of them. And that's not just preacher talk. That's what your word says. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you have a plan and a purpose, a calling upon our lives. Whether we live our lives in Manhattan and, 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 and we're, we're working in the ad industry or whether, whether we are a, a business owner somewhere in, in, in the Midwest, whether we're pastoring somewhere in, in the Southeast, whether we're going to a far-flung country somewhere in this world. God, your hand and your calling is on these students that are here. So I pray today, help them, God, to get a hold of this principle. That wherever they are in life and whatever you call them to do, if they will just simply do what they can with where they are, with what they have, they'll change their world. They'll make a difference. One day they'll look up and that one train after another train after another train, one day, one week, one month, all of a sudden they will have touched countless lives. I pray, God, let this set deep in them. Let the enemy not be able to steal, kill, or destroy this out of them. But I pray, Lord, as your word has gone forth, let it be yes and amen in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. Outstanding. Thank you.